0: Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio.
1: Welcome to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. James Golden, Bo nerdly with you here. If you'd like to be part of this program, you are welcome. 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. And this was... A, it will, well, it's been an incredible two weeks. The Supreme Court has issued any number of rulings, including, of course, overturning Roe v. Wade and the Casey decision. There, We talked with at length with the great one, Mark Levin, yesterday about many of the rulings that the court issued. If we can dig that out, will we play it at some point? during the show, and one of the things, as they left this term, they issued another bombshell, and that's with the case that they're going to take up next term. That case could be bigger than all of these cases because it deals with American elections, and it deals with the idea that state legislatures, not federal judges, not any of that. It deals with all of that. So, this is going to be an interesting go-round. We will talk about that case shortly. There is something, though, that is off the beaten path. That I Not off the beaten path. or something that I normally wouldn't do leading the show, but I'm, I'm going to do it after I get to uh, a little bit of information. For those traveling, and that travel information is if you are planning on being on a plane this 4th of July weekend, you you might want to very seriously consider, God bless you, getting to the airport on time or actually getting there early. There have been so many delays over the past few weeks. There's a story this morning that the CEO of Delta Airlines has apologized for the unacceptable number of cancellations amid this 4th of July weekend. Yesterday, over 4,000 flights had been delayed, 400 were canceled. East Coast was really hard hit. So if you're going to be there, by the way, isn't Delta one of those woke companies? Yeah. Maybe instead of worrying about all the woke stuff, they ought to worry about how they're going to get their planes to places on time. And I'm a Delta frequent flyer. But this, these past few weeks have just been agonizing for people in airports including children who've been left to sleep on the floor of some airports because they couldn't get to where they were going, cancellations, connecting flights, canceled, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're headed out, in fact, Delta customers said they had received offers of up to $10,000 to give up their seat because there were so many overbookings. If you're headed out of town, you may want to get to that airport very early and also leave yourself an option, a plan B, develop a plan B if you can't get your flights. Now there's other stories in the Daily Mail today. It's right here in Connecticut. 48-year-old man arrested after pushing an 11-year-old biracial boy off his bike and telling him to get the F out of town because he didn't grow up there guy's name is Jameson Chapman. There's a video of this. Apparently, this 11-year-old boy and his friend were playing on their bikes. It looks like it's a rainy day wherever they're playing, and it's rain out. This happened in Deep River, Connecticut this past Monday, but it's just coming to light now. And apparently, the boy bumped into him, or he bumped into the boy, what well, shouldn't have been a big deal. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's move it on. But no. <clears throat> this man, this grown man, tells this boy, apparently, to get off the, the sidewalk and ride his bike in the street. And the 11 year old boy says, No, I'd get hit by a car in the street. He angrily tells the kid to get the F out of here. Then he asked the child, get this, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Connecticut when the young child, his name is Duncan, who is biracial, response, he hadn't? Chapman then tells him to get the F out of my town. And he pushes this young boy off his bike onto the street, just pushes him. The 11-year-old boy's body goes flying. The boy is crying out in pain. Now, this man, 48-year-old Chapman, has been arrested, but he's released now. Like so many other criminals these days, they don't stay in jail. Let's just do a quick check-in in jail and then get out. If I were this boy's father, never mind. I hope. What kind of man does this to a young boy? What kind of real man? And he's this guy obviously has some racial hatred for this kid who he's never met before. You know, Northern liberals like to look down at the South. They like to think, oh, the South, that poor South, oh, those hicks, those rubes down there, and all the time there are these, you know, you hear Democrats talk about the South like it's still Jim Crow days, which, by the way, the Democrats are responsible for. Right here in liberal land, you have these kind of incidents. This is appalling. I don't know how Jameson Chapman can look at himself in the mirror. How do you do this to an 11-year-old boy? The boy, by the way, is scared to go out of his house now. And his mother says it's not the first time that he's run into these racial incidents because the kid's biracial. What's wrong with people? If I lived in Deep River, Connecticut, I would be absolutely embarrassed and ashamed that this was happening in my neighborhood. get out of town, and then throws an 11-year-old boy off of his bicycle. Unbelievable. Here is some good news. Donald Trump leads Joe Biden in a hypothetical 2024 matchup, according to a new poll. It's a national survey, Emerson College. Donald Trump leading Joe Biden 44% to 39%. In a head-to-head matchup, another 12% of voters said they plan to vote for somebody else. Now, Trump's support has been holding at about 44% since May, but Joe Biden's support is just dropping like a rock. And it deserves to. If you, I would love to hear if you supported Joe Biden and I, let me before I say this, just let me say we, all of us here at WABC, are very respectful of other people and and callers especially. But I want to make it a point to just say, if you have an opposing view, you will always get treated well on this program. I'm not here to argue and try to demean you or anything. I just want a good discussion with with callers. So if you voted for Joe Biden, or put it this way, if you didn't vote for Donald Trump in the last presidential election cycle, where are you on that today? Are you satisfied with what has happened in the country? If you voted for Biden, do you think you got your money's worth? Do you think Joe Biden has been a good president? Do you think he's just the victim of circumstance, inflation, the baby food crises, the border crises, and all of the other crises that have plagued this Biden administration? Are you happy with the direction of the country under the leadership of Joe Biden? If not, and if you don't find yourself in that group that would vote for Donald Trump, who would you like to run instead of Joe Biden? If you are a Democrat or a liberal voter, or if you are a rhino, and I don't, if you, if you, think that it should be someone other than Donald Trump? Who do you think it should be? And what do you think is going to happen in the midterm elections? Do you think that this this mood that the electorate in, especially after the Supreme Court rulings, do you think that Democrats are more fired up now? Do you think that your party, if you are a Democrat or a liberal, do you think that these Roe versus Wade and Casey decisions and the other decisions have made your side energized? Do you think that more people are now going to come out because they're worried? If you look at the alarm that is being raised in the mainstream press still over Roe v. Wade, it, I mean, it is astounding. And as I said, there are bigger decisions. There are decisions that are have just as much just as much importance as Roe v. Wade, if you look at the EPA decision, the EPA versus the West Virginia versus the EPA, that is finally, finally, a decision that will allow industries and businesses to feel less threatened by this seemingly endless power that federal agencies have over them because this decision pretty much clipped the wings of the epa and said no you cannot put entire business sectors out of business in your quest to deal with global warming and the environmentalist and the the, the environmentalist wackos out there are in up in arms over this but that congress that that power belongs to Congress, not to a bunch of unelected bureaucrats. And this is huge. It is a huge decision, and it can, the, the, the ruling can be interpreted to extend far beyond the Environmental Protection Agency. This big government behemoth may finally be brought under control. So we have that. We have a lot more to discuss later on in the program. Princess Di will join us. Looking forward to that. The princess and I are going to talk a little bit about the 4th of July, among other things. And later today, Omar Hakim. If you don't know who he is, you will. He's an amazing drummer. You have heard him on records going back for decades. He's going to be part of a special Series of concert that the Foo Fighters are putting on together with Taylor Hawkins' family, and as a memorial concert. And he'll tell us about that. Bo Snirly, it's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away; we're coming right back.
0: Entertaining and informative. James Golden, A.K.A. Bo Snirly, is on the air. Seventy-seven WABC.
1: Diego, I haven't heard this song in ages. What a great selection. Atlanta Rhythm Section on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Have your first cup of coffee with us, or your second, or your third even. Well, if you a tea drinker, enjoy your tea. So
2: hoping you get into
3: me. I am so into you.
2: I can't think of else.
1: Oh, man, that's a man in love. Here is a story that I mentioned earlier. This is from the Washington Post. Democracy advocates raise alarm after Supreme Court takes election case. Now, this happened on the last day of the term. So they dropped the bombs on the last day, like the EPA decision. And then they said, oh, by the way, guys, we're not done yet. We're going to take a case when the fall term starts. And liberals went apoplectic. Voting rights advocates expressed alarm Friday. A day after the U.S. Supreme Court said it will consider a conservative legal theory giving state legislatures virtually unchecked power over federal elections, warning that it could erode basic tenets of American democracy. The idea known as the, quote-unquote, independent legislature theory, end quote, represents to some theorists a literal reading of the Constitution. Now, get this. In their first paragraph, they say, okay, they're going to consider a conservative legal theory. So so to them, this thing, is, it, it's, a, it's just a theory. But then by the second paragraph, paragraph they have to admit oh oh wait it's in the constitution so it's not actually a theory you see it is literally in the united states constitution but returning back to the stories and this is the part that i love the most and i'd love to hear what you have to say about this but in its far-reaching interpretation it could cut governors and state courts out of the decision-making process on election laws while giving state lawmakers free reign to change rules to favor their own party. The impact could extend to presidential elections in 2024 and beyond, experts say, making it easier for a legislature to disregard the will of its state's citizens. Now, let me take a stab at that, because that's the liberal nightmare scenario. Here is the way that I read this. But if the Supreme Court does indeed take this up and actually goes back to the intent of the founders in the Constitution... State courts and governors would no longer be able to monkey around with the will of the people and change election laws sometimes at the last minute to benefit Democrats. All you have to do is look at Pennsylvania. Look what happened there. The legislature wrote laws, and the Democrats in Pennsylvania who own the Supreme Court there, they said, oh, screw you. Screw you, state legislature, screw you. Screw you, Republicans. We're Democrats, and we are going to interpret the law in ways that benefit Democrats. Now, that's James' interpretation of it, but I don't know how that could be incorrect because some of the things they did were just to ignore the law. They ignored the law that the Republican legislature wrote about how mail-in ballots were supposed to be handled. So they didn't care anymore if mail-in ballots came in without names, without verification, just count them up anyway. That opens the door. I'm being very careful with what I say. That opens the door to fraud. I didn't say it was fraudulent. If you cut out the state governors and the George Soros, secretaries of state out of coming up with last-minute changes to the electoral system. Why would that make Democrats fearful? Why would that make these advocates, advocates, voting rights advocates so worried? Why would... Why would saying that a state legislature writes the law be so offensive to Democrats? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it means them that they can't run to their liberal buddies on the court, for instance, with voter ID laws. Now, voter ID laws are not a big deal unless you're a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you've been complaining now for 20, 30 years that And they always use black people. So, you know, I hate going racial every single so, because that's not what I'm about. I don't look at the world through these racial prisms all the time. But we're dealing with politics. Democrats deal with race all the time. They always use black people as their pawns. So in the case of these election issues, what they tell America is that black people are too, you know, these black people they don't have identification especially the older ones because you know back in slavery they didn't have id and so some of them were born in you know in their sharecropper in their sharecropper environment and they still don't have ids and so it's unfair to ask for ids cuz that's racist and instead of back people being outraged that they're always being used as pawns, they go along with this Democrat crap. And I say, Okay, well, that sounds good. We don't, you know, don't please Republicans, don't be mean to us. In all of the years since they first raised the issue, if Democrats were truly concerned, And let me acknowledge, there are some people who do not have identification, proper identification, like a whole bunch of illegal aliens. There are some people who do not have proper identification. In all of these years that Democrats have been complaining about it, why haven't they gotten people, their own constituents, proper identification? Why haven't they fixed the problem? So that it's no longer an issue because they don't want to fix a problem. It's a minuscule problem. And it would not require a whole lot to fix it. But they don't want to fix it because they want to run around telling America it's racist to ask for people's identification. This would put a stop to that. Because no longer could these Democrats run and find some sympathetic judge to go along with this nonsense. Sheldon Whitehouse. Victriolic. Partisan hack. He's a Democrat up in Rhode Island. He says this is an anti-Democratic Republican power grab. No. This is to stop Democrats from jerking the American people around by taking the power out of their hands. The Constitution is clear. State legislatures have the right to determine what happens in state elections. They set the rules. Not judges, not governors. Not even George Soros appointed secretaries of state. So this, to me, is a big step forward. Democrats are petrified. We'll see what happens when the Supreme Court takes up its next term. This is a huge case. All the things that many of you complained about, many of us complained about, looking at elections that all of a sudden, 2 o'clock in the morning, all the voting tallies stop. And then a few hours later, What looked like a sure thing isn't a sure thing anymore because all of a sudden there's this big influx of votes that just so happen to line up for the Democrats. All that stuff stops if the Supreme Court rules that it is state legislatures and only the state legislatures that have the power to determine the rules of elections, not these phony baloney schemes that liberals have been foisting on America for the last century. This, my friends, is huge, and this could restore a lot of faith, at least among conservatives. Liberals will whine to the high heavens about this, but this would go a long way toward restoring a lot of faith that conservatives have lost and and other people that are not Democrats have lost in our election process. Again, if you want to join us today, eight hundred eight four eight WABC is the number to call eight hundred. 8489-222. Gonna take a quick break. We'll be back this Saturday morning. Radio Extravaganza continues right after this.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. Oh knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC.
1: Paul McCartney brings us back one of my favorite Paul McCartney songs. Silly love songs. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the interview that was conducted yesterday between Mark Levin and myself. And let's give it a listen. Sly and the Family Stone bring us back. Hot fun in the summertime. And with us, ladies and gentlemen, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Mark, welcome. How are you, my friend?
4: Bo, it's a pleasure. And you know what? I think it's the great big one now. I've gained about 25 pounds, I think. Oh, no. Uh, no. I, I'm trying like hell to get rid of it, but, uh, you know, I just had a sorbet and a few chocolate caramels, so that's not going to happen.
1: <laughs> Mark, um, I when when the Roe v. Wade uh, ruling came down and, and Casey ruling came down, first thing I thought of was, Man, I wish Rush was here to comment oh, yeah. on this.
4: Mm-hmm. And
1: then the second thing I thought of was that this, this country, Mark, owes three talk radio giants for the years and years that they have helped create the climate. And it's not just the radio giants. Of course, we have a conservative media that's growing, a print media. We have conservative publications. We have conservative pundits. But i tell you what, in terms of mass communication, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, have been there for years priming this pump, coalescing a group of American citizens together under the banner of conservatism. Before Rush, conservatives, many of us, didn't identify as conservatives. And then for the last decades, what have we had? We have had 15 hours a day of Rush of sean of mark and we have watched this conservative movement grow and finally mark especially you brought out the nature to many people who don't understand our constitution you made it plain for them to understand and what has happened with roe v wade and roe v casey at least to me this is a at last moment at last the supreme court is paying attention to the constitution what say you
4: First of all, you're extremely generous, uh, with me anyway. I mean, with Rush and Sean, I agree. And I've known you a long, long time, and you know well, when we had these legal issues, I would talk to Rush a lot. He'd contact me or I'd contact him, and we go through these things. So this decision was a genius decision because of its simplicity. I mean, the court simply said something that, you never hear in Washington, D.C., we don't have the power to get involved in this. We never did. It's not a federal constitutional matter. It's a state legislative or constitutional matter. It is a people matter. We're the furthest thing from we the people. We are lifetime appointees. Roe v. Wade and Casey, were opinions looking for legal and constitutional justifications and never found them. And they said, we're not going to rule on this. Now, keep in mind, they didn't say abortion is unconstitutional under the Equal Protection Clause. They could have said that. They could have said that's a baby. And under the Equal Protection Clause, it deserves protection. Therefore, every abortion-permitting law in the nation is unconstitutional. They didn't do that. And the Democrats want to do the opposite. What the Democrats tried to do in the Senate right after the first draft leak was what? They wanted abortion on demand right to the last second. They support infanticide. It has nothing to do right. with Roe v. Wade in its three trimesters or Casey and viability. A baby is viable when it's about to be born. And the Democrats proposed legislation that only exists in six states. And what it says is abortion on demand right up to the end for any reason and all the restrictions in every other state are to be wiped out. That's what the Democrats believe in. And people need to understand how extreme and radical they are.
1: Now, the Roe v. Wade and Casey decisions, of course, have upset the left mightily. But this decision, with the Supreme Court cutting the wings of the EPA, scaling back the EPA's power, no this power that you want to dramatically change entire industries, Entire sectors of the American economy does not belong to the EPA. It's a legislative power. What Mm -hmm. about that decision? Was that equally sound? It's not only sound,
4: it was a very, very big deal. Since a case called Chevron, uh, really back to FDR, but beyond that, the Supreme Court has basically allowed Congress to delegate its legislative making to the bureaucracy. And they, uh, and, they, and they have delegated it with these very broad and ambiguous laws, and the bureaucracy, of course, is fairly radical, particularly when you have somebody like a Biden or Obama at the helm. And they've been t- using it, exploiting it, to pass laws. Uh, over the la- if you look at the uh, Federal Register, and I don't expect anybody to do it, uh, it's a million pages long over the last 12 years. All those laws are passed without our representatives involved, without your input, and it's exactly the opposite of what the framers intended. So here, what the court said is uh, you don't have the power to regulate public utilities in the states. There is no statutory power, and you just can't point to these broad laws passed in the 1970s to say that you can. Now, the reason they're under attack is because the same people who are attacking the court for other reasons, they want – the government to have this kind of power all the court has done in both of these cases has said the right bodies have to make these decisions and those are the bodies closest to the people and the people have to have the right to have some input no more top down as far as we're concerned and of course the media which are very stupid and very ideological they're saying our rights are being taken away and 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 who else is going to clean the air It's just so outrageous how these people report this stuff with the Democrat Party talking points. So we should be very happy with what the court did in these two cases.
1: How about the New York gun law case? Now, New York was already uh, the New York uh, legislature under the unelected governor, Kathy Hochul, is already working to circumvent that decision. That decision. Uh, overturned a 100-year-old law in New York that basically said that the sheriff, the police, have the ability to stop people from getting guns. They have to tell the police what special circumstances are needed in order to have a concealed weapon. The court said, no, you don't.
4: But the court said is, look, if you have a rule that applies to everybody, that's one thing. But if you give the kind of broad discretion to bureaucrats or local officials to decide on a one-off basis if somebody has a right to gun do you need it they said the emphasis is on the wrong thing the emphasis isn't on do they need it and can they prove it the point is they have a right to it unless you have a broad-based law that raises questions so in other words if people have committed felonies and you have a law in place that they can't have a gun okay fine. But if you say Ernie Grabowski walked into the sheriff's office and he wants a carry permit, and then you say Ernie Grabowski, well, why do you need it? And he says, well, I'm concerned about my safety. And they say, well, we don't think it's enough, so you don't get it. The court said that's not acceptable. That kind of power does not belong with one person or a bureaucracy or anything of the sort. You apply it across the board or you don't. And you can't just say nobody has a right to a gun under the earlier Heller decision. Because we have a second amendment. Have you noticed the pattern here? They hate the Bill of Rights. <laughs> yes. They hate the Constitution. <laughs> they hate freedom. They hate individualism. They just want more and more power, so they want to undermine the cops and remove any right to defend yourself, and that's what you have. You have the law of the jungle. You have, you have lawlessness and anarchy taking place.
1: Are you optimistic, Mark, after these decisions? We haven't talked about the the, the two decisions regarding religion, and, of course, that has a whole different segment of the left upset, those that hate religious people, those people that hate religion, and continue to say that the Constitution demands that there be a separation of all church activity and all state activity, Which is an incorrect reading of that. But are you optimistic given this term? I think that we've seen the most momentous term, uh, ending in a Supreme Court that in in my lifetime. I don't know whether that's, you know, I don't know whether I missed something in the 60s that maybe I'm not taking or the 70s in for granted, but I have never, uh, experienced wave, this kind of wave of, Mm of, of to me, stunning decisions coming from the court.
4: Well, a couple of things. First, on uh, separation of church and state. It's right up there next to the abortion phrase. In other words, it doesn't exist in the Constitution. What the First Amendment allows is the free exercise of religion. But it also opposes the imposition of religion on individuals. In other words, they were concerned about a theocracy. So a coach, after a football game, going to the corner of the field, getting on his knee and praying to God for 30 seconds, then players asking if they can voluntarily join him. That's not the imposition of religion on those young people. That is their voluntary choice. Now, he did it on public property. So what? If people understand the history of this country, faith has been exercised on public property all the time until the 1940s in a decision called Everson, which was uh, written by Hugo Black, Hugo Black, was a bigot. Hugo Black opposed the Catholic Church and the Pope. We know that from no less of a person than his own son. He was the lawyer for the Klan for a couple of years in Alabama, and he was FDR's first appointee to the Supreme Court. But there is no separation of church and state uh, in the Constitution. That's not to say we support, you know, uh, somebody's faith being imposed on everybody. But how in the world was this guy imposing anything on anybody and they said, "Look, he has a right to exercise his faith too. We don't just have to talk about Marxism, you know, and Leninism. We can talk about other things too, including faith." As for my optimistic or pessimistic? This is where Russia and I <laughs> had two different personalities. Oh, okay. He was always optimistic. Hmm. I have to say I can be pessimistic, uh, and uh, and we were a good balance in that way. I mean, he but he was a realist. Don't get me wrong. But, but you could see when he broadcast how positive he was and so forth and so on. I look at this and I say, these, uh, one, two, three decisions were great decisions, but our expectations have been so dumbed down that all we the appeared, and they were gutsy to do it, saying, wait a minute, First Amendment means what it says. Wait a minute, we're a representative republic, the bureaucracy can't make laws. Wait a minute, this issue of abortion isn't in the Constitution. So we say, wow, look at what they did, which is great. Don't get me wrong. It took guts. But we're in a position where we just can't play even. We've got to make some progress beyond the Supreme Court decisions. I'm hoping we do in November. But then again, we can't win every election. People need to understand these days are different. They're they're more gravely dangerous than ever before because these people – want to devour our culture, whether it's our classrooms, whether it's open borders. They want to devour our constitutional system, this war on the Supreme Court. We've never seen anything like this before. They want to nationalize the voting system so they can never lose. And they are serious about what they're doing. I'm just concerned a lot of the Republican rhinos who run things in Washington don't quite get it. I think you and I and our audiences get it. But these are very, very, very perilous times. And you can see how they're trashing Clarence Thomas, how another Supreme Court, Justice Kavanaugh, had his life threatened, how they're trying to destroy Donald Trump, the same people who are trying to destroy Trump, trying to destroy Clarence Thomas, trying to destroy Kavanaugh, open borders and all the rest. Those same people, people say, you know, I support maybe Tom Cotton or DeSantis. You don't think they're going to trash the hell out of those men, too? Exactly. They will try to destroy them, too
1: mark that 's the time we have. Uh, I hope you join us again, man. I love you so much, Mark, and thank you for everything Likewise, that brother. you. Thank you for everything that you do and that you 've done for this country, Mark. That's the great one, folks, Mark Levin. That is Mark Levin, ladies and gentlemen. I talked with him yesterday. We're coming back. More of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza and your calls coming up right after this. Don't go away.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC.
1: WABC, it's your Saturday morning radio extravaganza, KC. And sunshine brand or band, the sunshine brand that actually works too. The sunshine band bring us back. Hoping you have a sunny day. Floor, let's, Don't back, give a let's head to the telephones quickly. Let's head. We'll start with Kate in Danbury, Connecticut. Good morning, Kate. How are you?
5: Good morning. I have the biggest crush on you. I'm embarrassed to say I wanted to tell you a little factoid about um, that song that you were listening to. Yeah, Paul McCartney.
1: Silly Love Songs. I love that song.
5: Okay. I heard this on Casey Kasem. Remember they would have the Sunday countdowns? Yes. And that song was created in retaliation with a comment John Lennon made at one time where he said an interviewer asked John Lennon, what do you think of Paul McCartney's new band? Wings. And he said, well, it's just silly songs. They're frivolous. Did you know that?
1: I did not know that.
5: But I cuz you I heard it on Casey Kasem and I remember it cuz my friends and I were down at the Jersey Shore and we were listening to that, and we all started laughing because Paul McCartney had the last laugh.
1: I, You know, that is just so interesting. And, of course, you know, it's. It, I wondered, were you sad that the original Beatles, after the breakup, never got back together and did a reunion concert, just the, the four of them while they were still alive?
5: Yes. I, I remember hearing, scuttle, you know, buzz about that around 1979, but it never came to fruition. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And now we just but, have two two left: the Ringo and I and know. Yep, Ringo and Paul. And Paul is isn't Paul in his eighties now? Yes, but he's got a very austere
5: diet, from what I understand. I think you are. You have a vegan diet too, if I.
1: Oh I no, I'm, a, I'm 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 a vegetarian, and I need to completely just make the switch and go vegan. But I still oh. I still fool around with dairy products. So.
5: Me too. You got to love life. On um, another question I want to say is your voice is incredible. Did you did you inherit your pipes from your father? No. Or
1: did you go to voice. <laughs> did Didn't go, go to did voice, voice school. school? My father voice? had a, a voice but it wasn't like mine. I tell you my voice is more like my cousins, Jerry Bledsoe, but not quite. Jerry to me had the best voice of anybody in in radio. I mean, he his voice was just uh it was and I spent oh. a lot of time with him when I was a, a teenager. And I think um, by spending so much time with him, he was a disc jockey here in New York, and he also used to do a show in New York called Soul, Soul Alive. And I'm so I... You
5: Google
1: that. Yeah, Jerry Bledsoe. And so I think that it's I... I yeah. <laughs> if anything, I think I try to capture some of his tones.
5: Well, you know what? You're such a pleasure to listen to. And if you ever read... If you ever went into the business of storybooks, bedtime storybooks, I swear I would buy them all up because you're the person that I would turn on so you could read me a story at night and I'd fall right to sleep. You just,
1: oh, what a you beautiful sister. thing to say, Kate.
5: I I just think you're wonderful and I think your parents did a good job and I love when you talk about your mother and you Thank tell, you just, I, I'm going to start going off a mile a minute and i can't
1: <laughs> make it okay i love you sweetheart you're thank wonderful. you thank you i have a crush on you too by the way hi. thank you so much i appreciate the call and i want to hear from you again thank you what a wonderful call what a great way to thank you guys what a great way to start off the day uh let us go quickly to staten island and john welcome wabc you're on with james golden aka Snurly. it's our saturday morning radio extravaganza hi john yeah
6: yeah, I'm John. I'm sorry, Oh, It's too early in the morning for this. It's Saturday. I got a job to do. Uh, listen, <laughs> uh, the the, um, the the kids that, you know, like an anti FAR and this abortion people now, they're all getting trained as useful idiots from another bunch of useful idiots that probably went to school. If I remember correctly, when BLM and anti was formed, all these kids came from colleges walking around following the communist, progressive, you know, hate America crowds that, that walked with them in the streets of New York. And it's the the, the useful idiots. We could just educate the useful idiots, which we need to do, that, you know, to show them that you're getting information from somebody who got information from somebody else, that hearsay thing. But the, it's they're, they're just a bunch of useful idiots for what they're doing. And then they even have, you know, it, it's probably coming back from a a white communist progressive. So you're following a racist,
1: a communist well, racist. first of all, we don't we don't know for sure who they follow. And rather than just make sweeping generalizations, I think what we need to do is actually find out exactly who they're following. We need to do some research on these folks and find out whose ideology they are following. Interesting that you would mention them in Portland last night. They were in the streets again. More vandalism, more riots. And when I read the story this morning, I couldn't even tell what they were rioting about this time. The police had to get in, break them up, said, you know, this is... But this time, at least the police responded. Which is not usual for dealing with Antifa and the protests that come out of the left. There was a picture, by the way, that I saw with Maxine Waters... And behind her was the guy that supposedly is the main organizer of Antifa. So when we think that these people are connected with the Democrat Party, that needs investigation too. But of course the DOJ, the Department of Justice, is more concerned about parents going into school board meetings. One of the things that we're going to have to take up... Ron DeSantis, by the way, is not through. He is throwing down. There is another law that he's trying to get passed regarding colleges. Where do you hear the details of that one. Maybe Princess Diana will be able to cover that, among the other things that we talk about. Amazing what DeSantis is doing. There is a column that I want to get to. Dana Milbank, the Amazon Prime Washington Post today. Dana is really mad. He's angry, Po Thang. Because he says respect for precedent, stare decisis, has now been trashed by this Supreme Court. Well, I would love to take issue with that, and I will. That's one of the things that we'll talk about. And then there's, I'm going to dispense with this one fairly quickly. There's another column in the Amazon Prime Washington Post this morning. Helene Olin. Abortion rights should be law, not a corporate perk. And what she's dealing with is all the corporations. Bank of America, Dick's Sporting Goods, Amazon, Citigroup, Starbucks that have come out and said, hey, hey, employees, we'll give you money to travel. If abortion is not available in your state, we'll perk you. We'll give you money to travel so you can get an abortion anywhere you want. Everybody's like, oh, wow, that's so nice. That's so cool. Has anybody stopped to think that this is a little self serving? They'd rather pay for you to get an abortion than have to pay for your maternity leave. Did you ever think about that? Anyway, first hour gone, second hour, third hour coming up on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Here on WABC Talk Radio 77, James Goldman, Bo Stanley. We're coming back. Your call's coming up. Don't you go away. We'll be right back.
0: It's James Golden, aka Bo Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio.
1: Welcome back, our number duo. James Goulden here with you on Saturday morning. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You, too, can be part of the program. All you have to do, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. As promised, we're going to jump into some news, but we're also going to take your calls next hour. Our Princess of Policy, Diana Mee, joins us, and also next hour, an incredible musician, Omar Hakim who is perhaps one of the world's best drummers ever in the world. We're going to talk about an upcoming Foo Fighters concert that he's going to be a part of. In the meantime, let us go to Dana Milbank's column in the Amazon Prime Washington Post today. He starts off the column this way, Dana does. Poor Dana. Now begins the era of of stare indecisis. Respect for precedent known by the Latin stare decisis to stand by things decided has been a centuries old cornerstone of the rule of law. Necessary so the scale of justice doesn't waver with every new judge's opinion, opinion as the 18th century legal philosopher William Blackstone wrote. But it too Alito, the Supreme Court's radical right put the knife in stare decisis in its decision overturning Roe v. Wade and destroying 50 years of precedent upon precedent. The dissenting justices wrote that the majority abandons stare decisis. That's one of the dissenting judges wrote that. And that threatens to upend bedrock legal doctrines. It creates profound legal instability and calls into question this court's commitment to legal principle. Well, what was the law before Roe v. Wade, and how long was it? You see, this is something that liberals do. They play these little word games on you, like Dana Milbank, or these little thought games on you. And they never, ever stop to really give you an intellectually honest analysis. In the first paragraph here, he says it. To stand by things decided is a centuries-old cornerstone of the rule of law. For centuries, 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 the precedent was that abortion was settled by state, at least as far as America was concerned, from the beginning of our history up until 50 years ago. So who honored stare decisis and who didn't? The Supreme Court has actually honored stare decisis. It took us back to the original tenets of our law that stayed in place for over a century. It is liberals who dishonored stare decisis by finding something in the Constitution that wasn't there. What the Supreme Court did is take us back to the precedent that was intact since the founding of this country. And liberals can play all these little silly head games they want to. They See, they act like when they do something, when something benefits them, well, that's the beginning of a historical era. And they can ignore everything that took place in the past. The actual people that dishonored stare decisis was the Supreme Court that threw it out the window in order to grant a select group of citizens' rights that did not exist in the Constitution of the United States. And if you look, it's not just that. It's not just Roe v. Wade. It's this business that we just got through talking about. What did the Supreme Court say? What did the Constitution say, rather, about elections? It said elections... That's the business of state legislatures. We're not following the Constitution when we give this power over to judges, especially Democrats stacked up judges who care more about politics than the rule of law. We're not following the Constitution by the letter of the Constitution when George Soros paid and bought and paid for Secretaries of State are assigned to administer election law. That's not following stare decisis. That's not the Constitution. These liberals are so full of it. And Dana Milbank is full of it. He's so pompously arrogant all the time with this view, but he's never intellectually honest. And the Democrats... Diego, do we have our racist Democrat theme? That would be terrorist theme from Gone with the Wind. Let me know when you find it. Yeah. Because you know what what Democrats are doing with Clarence Thomas is just unconscionable. And that's and there's nothing there's no more word better for what they're doing or attempting to do to Clarence Thomas. Then, racism that's it plain and simple hit that theme yes ladies and gentlemen this is our theme when we talk about the racist democrat party and boy, oh boy, are they racist. None other than MoveOn.org, this group of, of 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 lefty leftists, have signed a petition and put out a petition out there. Over 700,000 people calling for Justice Clarence Thomas to be impeached following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now... Ask yourself a question, ladies and gentlemen: How many judges signed on to that decision? Why well, six did? Six whole judges. We had that Alito fella. He actually wrote the decision. Not only did we have Alito, we had that Kavanaugh fella. We had the Gorsuch fella, but had that woman that has all them cheering, all them cheering. That 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 that, that Colman Barrett woman. Got a whole bunch of cheering there. We know she likes cheering. So we have all these people. Even Judge Roberts signed on to it. John Roberts said, okay, I don't like it, but I'm going to go along with you. And so what do they do? Do these Democrats go after any of those other five white justices? Why no? why no they demand that they go after the black guy let's get that black guy and finish off what joe biden and the democrats tried to do when they first nominate him let's finish the high-tech lynching of clarence thomas by the way he married to a white woman too and we don't like her for marrying that colored fella we try to tell her all the time to shut her mouth. Because she talks too. And we don't like her talking. She tries to talk about freedom. She putting her nose in the Trump election, all that stuff. Why, woman, hush your mouth. Hush it. And you got the nerve to be married to that black one. That's what moveon.org, that's what your Democrat Party is all about. We don't like them arrogant blacks telling us what we can do when it comes to killing our children. We ain't going to have it. You hear me? We just not going to have it. So all 700,000 that they could find are them white supremacist liberals have decided Clarence Thomas got to go. That man got to go. We just don't like we don't like him. That man, I mean, how dare that man tell all white women what to do with their bodies and them black women, too? Now, we don't really care them black women having abortions on all their kids because we want to see all of them gone anyway. But how dare, how dare that Clarence Thomas, how dare him tell us what to do? We ain't going to have it. James Golden, aka Bo Snerdly. We're coming back. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues right after this.
0: Talk radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, aka Bo Snirly, is on the air. 77 WABC.
1: Welcome back to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. Anita Baker brings us back this.
2: Ain't there something I can give
1: beautiful morning? In
2: exchange for everything you give to me. Read my mind and make me feel just fine. When I think my peace of mind is out of reach, the scales are sometimes unbalanced. And you bear the weight of all that has to be. I hope you see that you can lean on me, and together we can come and slow me she laughs so strong.
1: Giving you the best that I got. I have two friends that are actually playing on that played on this session. One is doing the background vocals. Her name's Angel Rogers, one of the most amazing vocalists, background vocalists in the country. The other, the drummer, Omar Hakeem, who will be with us in the next hour. There are ten laws. This is in the Hill today. Ten laws impacting LGBTQ plus rights are set to take effect today. Laws in Alabama, Florida, Indiana, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Utah come into effect today. One is the Alabama House Bill uh, 322. That prevents transgender students from using facilities like restrooms, locker rooms that match their gender identity. Now, remember, this framing is in the Hill. An amendment also bars kindergarten through fifth grade educators from engaging in classroom instruction related to sexual orientation and gender identity in a manner that is not, quote-unquote, age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate. And then there's Florida House Bill 1557, which is the Florida's Parental Rights and Education Law. That's the one that the critics call the don't-say-gay law. That's not what it says. It says you can't groom kids in schools, especially third graders. Leave all the discussion of sex and sex-related things. I don't care what, what kind of sex, hetero, homosexual, whatever it is. Leave all that stuff to the parents. Don't try this in your classroom with these young kids. Florida House Bill 7 goes into to effect today, too. As Florida's Indiv- Individual Freedom Act, it prevents workplaces and schools in the state from requiring training or instruction that may make some people feel like they bear personal responsibility for historic wrongdoings because of their race, color, sex, or national origin. Now, this measure has been called the Stop Woke Act. But you don't hear you don't hear liberals taking that up in Indiana House bill ten forty one prevents transgender women and girls through high school from competing on a sports team consistent with their gender identity, meaning you can't have what you had in Pennsylvania this Male transgender, who, by the way, still has male genitals, swimming and beating the socks off women, because he now identifies as a woman. Christy Nome in South Dakota signed Senate Bill 46. Again, that bars transgendered women and girls through high school from playing on sports teams that match their quote unquote gender identity. And students that are harmed by such things are allowed to actually take legal action. And South Dakota has also have a law like the Stop Woke, the so called Stop Woke Act, designed to present students, protect students and employees of higher education from divisive concepts related to race, color, religion, sex, ethnicity, or national origin. In other words, that's the CRT stuff. Let's get rid of this critical race theory and also this insane diversity, uh, uh, um, training that a lot of these universities do to make people feel guilty, especially white folks, if they, for being born because your ancestors were, quote unquote, according to the left, evil people. Tennessee House Bill, 1895, pulls funding from state schools that allow transgender students to play on sports teams consistent with their newfound gender identities. You see, the way they frame this all the time is like they're they're picking on somebody. That's the way that the, the reporting frames this. Tennessee Senate also has another bill, 2153, that prohibits males from participating in public higher education sports that are, design- that are designated for females. Duh! Males can't compete with females as if they're females. Wow, isn't that novel? Tennessee goes further. They have another House bill, 2454. it expands an existing requirement that Internet vendors block obscenity and pornography on school computers. Now, about this, LGBTQ plus advocates worry the law will be used to restrict access to resources about LGBTQ plus issues and identities because Internet vendors have to block obscenity, and pornography. Utah. The Utah law bars transgender women and girls from competing on sports teams that match their gender identity. So those are the ten laws that are set to take place today. And, of course, all of these are being viewed as attacks on the LGBTQ community And I want to make it very clear one more time. I say this all the time because I want this known. I have no, no animus at all toward anybody transgendered. I believe that dysphoria is real. I do think that there is a problem when you have children that are below the age where they can make an intelligent decision about their own bodies, where you have their parents taking them in to get butchered. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with giving kids drugs while they are still below puberty age, it blocks puberty, and messes with their hormones so that if they wanna have babies, if they wanna change their minds when they grow up, it makes it impossible. I have a problem with that. Let people make decisions when they are mature enough to understand fully the decisions and the consequences. For the decisions that they're making. I don't know why these parents treat their kids like they're accessories that they can just, you know, fool around with for whatever whims they have. Let these children grow up, make up their own minds. And if they still have dysphoria and they want to get treated for it, God bless them. But don't put children in a position where they're going to grow up and hate the decisions that were made for them on their behalf when they were too young to understand the ramifications of it. I don't think that's being unreasonable. And obviously, I think everybody, everybody, every single human being deserves to be treated with respect. And, well, criminals, murderers, rapists, scum. mm, Well, I think everybody should be accorded respect. whether they're LG, B, T, Q, whatever else, no hate over here. Life's too short to hate people because they're different. That said, tolerance is a two-way street. And the tolerance can't all come from one side. People have to understand and respect that there are people whose religion informs their life, whose spiritual beliefs informs their life, and if you want respect, then you need to give respect to them too. And that's what we're gonna. That's what is needed to advance society. If people have religious beliefs in this country right now, they are looked down upon by this irreligious left. You want respect? Try giving respect. Heading back to the telephones. Emilio, Sussex County. How are you, Emilio? How are you?
2: How you doing, Bo? Big fan. I'm doing well. Thank you. I wanted to talk talk about your cousin, uh, Jerry Bledsoe. I met him back in 1980. I went to Patterson Catholic in Patterson, New Jersey. They came over. They had that show, and I was picked to dance. And Cool and the Gang was the the guest. They they played Open Sesame and Jungle Boogie. And I remember the Top Ten Parliament Flash Flash uh, Flashlight was the number one song. Sorry, I'm a little wow. nervous. Wow.
1: That's cool. You know, I was at that taping. I was I was at the taping of that show, so I saw you. Of course, we wouldn't recognize each other from that but man what a wonderful experience yeah that was a great show that was on WPIX back in the day and that show did very well soul alive had a lot of the guests it was that was the age of soul train and all that but it was really a great dance show and uh, did you have fun there I'm here I'm here hello yeah was it fun for you was it a fun experience Emilio it was a great
2: experience, and I got picked to do. Uh, they did like a little um, one, you know. They let a few couples dance on their own, and I did a little hustle. Mm-hmm. And they, I, I dipped the girl, and all my friends were laughing at me later on because they said that the girl only dipped her head. I didn't dip her enough. <laughs> so it was great. Uh, Jerry Bledsoe was a DJ with NJR or WWRL.
1: WWR in the day, and later on WBLS. Yes, indeed. W-B-L-S. WBLS. Yes, indeed.
2: Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Bo, love your show, love your logic, love your musical contributions, and uh, keep it up.
1: Thank you so much, Emilio. Nice hearing from you. Let's go to Christine. Christine in Middletown, Connecticut. How are you this morning, Christine?
2: Hey, good morning, Mr. Snerdley. I just want (laughs) to thank you for something because uh, you've helped me without you knowing it. See, last week I went to the Affordable Connecticut anti-gas tax rally. And during the Pride Month as a commissioner in my city, I met many politicians. It's our Connecticut Democrats that have treated me like garbage. It's our state Republicans running. Many of them give me business cards, including George Logan. We had a picture together, and I put it on my social media. He just happens to be a, a black man who's conservative. And I put it on my post. And it's our liberal trans women who have taken me to the woodshed on that. And it's these people, these lefties are the ones create anti trans sentiment and they're not tolerant of me being conservative.
1: (laughs) I'm telling you, tolerance is a two way street, Christine. You know, it's one thing to say that, that 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 can and that's the rap that Republicans always get that they're anti this, anti that, anti most Republicans that I know most love people, and what they want, and Russ used to talk about this all the time, they want the best for people. They want everybody to have access to the American dream, to the, to the America that is prosperous, to an America that defends their freedoms and their liberties. When you look at who wants to restrict your liberty, who wants to restrict your freedom, it is not Conservatives. It is liberals who are trying to do that. Christine, always a pleasure to hear from you. We had we have to head to a break. Hopefully we'll hear back from you on another day when we have a little bit longer. James Golden, aka Snerdley. We're here, WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We're coming right back after this.
0: Talk radio seventy-seven WABC. Oh knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC.
1: Rod Stewart brings us back on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Do you think I'm sexy? I went to see him at Madison Square Garden. Great show. You know, he's still, he's still performing and he's still, you know, so if you still want to see Rod Stewart, not too late. You know, I love this song, but my favorite, my absolute favorite, what do you think it is? My favorite Rod Stewart song, Maggie May. Come on, Diego, mix, master some Maggie. oh yes diego you had a man (laughs) let us uh head back to the telephones and let's go to chris in the catskills chris welcome wabc talk radio 77 how are you this morning good morning
7: Bo. Ah, I fell asleep, but the window's open, and I had the allergy medications I'm taking, so I'll be out soon. So uh, <laughs> I I like how you talk about music, and I heard you the other day, or it might have been yesterday, mention uh, Taylor Hawkins being uh, honored in a tribute concert. I uh, just want to give the heads up to people. There's a great documentary film, uh, Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. She gave Taylor Hawkins his break in rock and roll. The film came out eight months ago, It's HBO, documentary film. I saw it at the Woodstock Film Festival uh, in one of its uh, opening premieres. Um, it, it's a shame that, uh, you know, the human ego is uh, and the psyche is fragile. And a lot of people have difficulty dealing with success. So he was a great drummer uh, with Alanis Morissette and with the Foo Fighters.
1: Um, Well, yeah, and, you know, Atlantis Morissette's going to be one of the performers at the Tribute Concert, by the way.
7: That makes sense. I only caught, like, four or five words of you saying that. Um, So I wanted to bring up some points. There's something that I was told happened in the Supreme Court yesterday or Thursday, and it went under the radar. Nobody reported it. So they're basically curtailing the sovereign rights of Indian nations around the United States to uh, not be subject to federal laws and regulations. And a progressive, liberal friend of mine who is uh, very pro-choice, um, and I'm pro-choice uh, for women, but you know I don't believe it should be used as a form of birth control. Uh, so, like like points you have made, but there was discussions about where abortion clinics. In states like South Dakota or Oklahoma uh, would uh, be uh, instituted on uh, American uh, nation land, and now they uh, wouldn't be able to do that. But uh, I understand that these cases are brought up, uh, you know, prior in the, in the dockets that they're going to be heard, but it, it seems like a coincidence. But I think if there's a broader picture going on. Uh, you know, it, it's been going on in American government right now is that, you know, you have your executive branch and your judicial branch are much more powerful than the legislative branch. And it's unfortunate that the legislative branch doesn't set proper policy. And, you know, the two parties are busy fighting with one another. Factions within one party are fighting with one another. And they have to campaign so often running for U.S. House of Representatives every two years. You know, I'd love to see it three-year terms. So they would actually have time to do their job as policymakers and lawmakers rather than do nothing but campaigning and raising money. I mean, your average member of the U.S. House of Representatives spends 20 to 22 hours a week on the phone raising money every week out of the year. And then it, the campaign cycle just never ends. They, they don't do their job. That needs to be changed. But it, it seems like when I was in government the county executive would stick policy in his budget because the county legislature wasn't doing their job. And on the state level, the same is true. But just to pose the question out there, not given my opinion, it all, it all might seem as if now the Supreme Court, the judicial branch is, is crossing over into that realm, you know?
1: Well, let me just address two things you said. First of all, I'll, in a few, when we get back from the break, that we're going to take shortly. I will talk about the, in the case that you're talking about, the Supreme Court. It, what it says, if you look at the NPR version of this, they handed a defeat to Native American tribes in Oklahoma. But now some people are saying it's a narrow ruling. So we'll just go into that a little bit. But as for Congress and the fundraising, the constant fundraising, you're absolutely right. It takes so much money to maintain your seat as an incumbent that when you get in, you are walking into an endless fundraising operation. I don't know what the cure for that is, and it's certainly not term limits. But, Chris, you raised some great points. I will take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to delve into the other story about the tribes. We'll be right back on our Saturday. Thank you for the call. Great call on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Bo Snelli. we're coming right back. Talk
0: Radio 77. W-A-B-C. W-A-B-C. Soul of Excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Nerdly, on 77 WABC.
1: Taking care of what? <laughs> Taking care of business. Thanks, Diego. Uh, WABC Talk Radio 77 i most early, James Golden with you here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. That case that our previous caller uh, talked about, I found the NPR version of the story. Now, keep in mind, before we say anything else, this is Nina Totenberg reporting. So that raises a red flag on, you know, just, just saying. Three years ago, she writes, Native Americans in Oklahoma rejoiced when the Supreme Court ruled that the eastern half of Oklahoma, get the eastern half of the state, is on tribal land, and that the state could not bring criminal prosecutions for crimes on Indian land without the consent of the Indian tribes. But on Wednesday, the court narrowed that decision, prompting an angry dissent from Justice Neil Gorsuch, the author of the 2019 decision, and an ardent proponent of Indian rights. Now, on the surface, Nina Totenberg writes, this might look like a cut-and-dried case. It's the aftermath of a 2019 decision. The state was no longer empowered to prosecute those accused of committing crimes on Indian Territory. Only tribal courts or the federal government could do that. And the tribal courts were generally not authorized to prosecute non-Indians. Now, according to the federal government, the effect of that decision was a 400% increase in federal prosecutions many people either not held accountable or getting lighter sentences. So, the Oklahoma governor and AG went back to the Supreme Court, asked them to reverse their decision. The Supreme Court refused to do that but on Wednesday, it narrowed the decision declaring that the state may prosecute crimes committed against Native American victims by non-Indians in Indian country. The bottom line, says, uh, says Nina Totenberg, is that power to the prosecute is most likely now going to shift back to the state and away from the federal government. So, you see, this is not, this is a narrow decision, not a huge blockbuster decision, but nonetheless, the Supreme Court did walk back a little bit of their previous decision, and that's the case that our previous caller was talking about. This has been a very busy, busy Supreme Court. New York Times actually says that spurred by the Supreme Court, a nation divides along red and blue axis. On abortion, climate change, guns, and much more, two Americas, one liberal, one conservative, are moving in opposite directions. Pressed by Supreme Court decisions diminishing rights that liberals hold dear, And expanding those cherished by conservatives, the United States appears to be drifting apart into separate nations. Separate nations with diametrically opposed social, environmental, and health policies. Do you believe that? This is the two Americas thing. Do you believe that we are drifting into two Americas? The New York Times says, call these the disunited states. The most immediate breaking point is on abortion, as about half the country will soon limit or ban the procedure, while the other half expands and reinforces access to reproductive rights. But the ideological fault lines extend far beyond that one topic to climate change, gun control, LGBTQ, and voting rights. On each of these issues, the country's northeast and west coast are moving in the opposite directions from the midsection and the southeast, with few exceptions, like the islands of liberalism in Illinois, Colorado, and New Hampshire's streak of conservatism, even where public opinion is more mixed, like in Ohio, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas the Republican grip on state legislatures has ensured that the policies in those states conform with those of the reddest states in the union rather than strike a middle ground. Now that's just, I mean, really, really? How about this? How about this? Even in states where opinion is mixed, like New York, where only New York City and Buffalo and maybe Rochester and Syracuse have Democrats running the show, but the rest of the state is red, the Democrat grip on the, legis- on the state legislature has ensured that the policy of the state conforms with the bluest states in the union rather than strike a middle ground. See, it's always the Republicans, according to these people that are the extremists, that don't want the middle ground. Why in Texas? Why they should just go along with the freaking liberals down there. Don't you understand? Well, anyway. Where do you think all this is leading? Yeah, I had some people, I've seen the signs that that say eventually, well... I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to put that in the universe. But are we moving in a on a course where there can, can be no quote-unquote coming together? I'd love to hear your take on that. Let's go to Essex County and John. John, welcome. You're on with Bo Snurley, James Golden. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you, John?
8: Good morning, Bo. I'm great. Thank you so much for taking my call. I love your show. It's radio as it should be. And um, forgive me if this has come up um, in prior programs, but on the matter of the New York Post, you know, there's much to be acclaimed about this paper. They've done a yeoman's job in months past about the Hunter Biden revelations and other things in the news. Mm -hmm. It -hmm. has been a light of truth. But I'm sad to say, I recently had to cancel my subscription. I canceled it three days ago. Why? Why?
1: Why? There's a Mm -hmm.
8: disconnect. Look at the coverage of Donald Trump in reference to this farce of the January 6th committee. Unconstitutional, illegal, completely nefarious, unfair. I'm looking at the headline of the New York Post. Wednesday, June 29th, 2022, Tyrant Trump, pages eight to nine. There's absolutely no questioning by the Post about the underlying unfairness of this committee. Headline, Don cheered capital violence. Uh, Here we go. Friday, July 1st. Yesterday, indict Don, Americans divided. Yesterday, July 1st, Douglas Murray our friend from Great Britain who now apparently is a resident of New York City. Congratulations, Mr. Murray time to retire tainted Trump. There's something going on here, Bo. And I hope the next time that an illustrious guest from the New York post is on the program. And I know there are many, I greatly admire this woman, Miranda divine.
1: Oh, uh, Miranda what divine is, is just, here? where just is divine. it coming from? Well, number one, I wouldn't pose it to a guest. That's a writer there because if this is happening, this is happening from a managerial position. So I think we'd have to talk to one of the managers of the New York Post to, uh, to get an answer to it. I think you raised an interesting point and an interesting line of questioning that we should ask. What's going on over here? I'll tell you one thing. This January 6th committee is a total farce. It is a whimsical farce. And yet the mainstream press is determined to make America take it seriously. This thing is so akin to a banana republic, to an old Soviet-style inquisition where you only have the state. The state has its witnesses. The state has its, its procedures and the rules, and they alter those to make sure that they can get the decision that they want to get out of it. Anyone that has evidence to the contrary is ignored or not called upon. All of that has happened here. Nancy Pelosi has refused to let on the committee Republicans that would defend Donald Trump and defend his actions. Nancy Pelosi has refused to release information to Republicans or to the public about her own role in the security mishaps of January 6th. And let's face facts about what Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are. They were known Trump haters before they ever came to this committee. Liz Cheney's out talking about, oh, Donald Trump is a blight on democracy and blah, blah, blah. Just like, shut up, Liz. No one wants to hear your partisan sniping anymore. And I think voters in Wyoming are going to show America what Republicans really think of Liz Cheney's Trump hate come November. This whole thing is an embarrassment to the way that true justice should work. It is like watching something take place in one of those Banana Republic where you had some junta that installs its henchmen and then holds a crime against the political enemies of the state. That is exactly what this January 6th thing looks like. It is a disgrace to the U.S. Congress It is a disgrace to U.S. history. And Nancy Pelosi should be embarrassed, but she's not because she's too partisan to be embarrassed. John, I'll give you the last word on this.
8: Bo, I agree with everything you said, and I thank you. My point is that Trump, is he perfect? Absolutely not. But he has singularly stood in the breach to prevent this country from going over the edge, and there's an effort to take him out. And unfortunately, a number of people in the quote-unquote conservative world are bought into this, including some very influential people at the New York Post. And it's not right. Someone has to be asked the question, why, in public.
1: Well, you know, the New York Post also has an ownership connection to who? Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, John, thank you for the call. Appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Tony in Orange County. Welcome to WABC Saturday morning radio extravaganza with James Golden, A.K. Stern. Hey, remember, Larry Kudlow comes on after this show. You're going to want to keep it here all day and later tonight, Cousin Brutti. Tony, what's on your mind?
9: Hey, I was just listening to your show. Very smart and well-spoken. Uh, uh, when I, not like me. I'm not well-spoken.
1: Oh, Um, come on.
9: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I keep hearing that uh, the American people, that Biden and the administration, they're out of touch with the American people. I disagree with it. They know what's going on, and they don't care. They want to destroy America any way they can, whether it's letting people come over the border, uh, drugs, marijuana, you name it. They don't care, and that's their agenda. I don't care. You can criticize Eric Adams, Hochul, Kamala Harris. Whoever's in charge of the uh, Democratic Party is laughing. These people are doing exactly whether they're incompetent or smart. They're destroying the cities. like New York City. What are we supposed to do as an ordinary citizen? Nothing. Don't go to well, the city.
1: Well, what we're supposed to My do, well, no. don't know. Want... Your wife doesn't want to what, come into the city, Tony?
9: No, that, that's correct. We used to go uh, down to uh, Arthur Avenue once in a while. And and now all of a sudden, nope, don't go. May get punched in the head. May get shot. Who knows?
1: See, this is the problem that Mayor Adams has. Mayor Adams ran on this idea that he was going to come in Mr. Law and Order going to clean up the crime problem in New York, and the p- crime problem has exactly done the opposite. It has exacerbated under Mayor Adams' lack of leadership. This is the guy to who-
9: destroy America. Eric Adams is the ideal person to do nothing. Kamala Eric- Harris is the ideal person to do nothing. Better Buttercheck but there, there Newsom Lightfoot.
1: Oh, no, 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 don't say that about Mayor Pete. You're talking about Mayor Pete Buttigieg. No, no, no. Mayor Pete Buttigieg just announced that he's going to spend a a bunch of millions of your dollars to root out racist highways. I'm not kidding. He's going to root out highways that were built by racism or whatever that means.
9: Uh, You know, I I hate to be jumping around. I I wrote down some stuff. Listen, you you know, when you talk about the Democratic Party and the uh, Republican Party, uh, the Republicans can't compete with the Democrats. They're they're sick, evil, and twisted, underhanded. The way I look at it now there's two groups of uh, creatures in the swamp. They live and feed off each other. One feeds off the other more making them the weaker group. That's the Republicans. They can't compete with the Democrats. I, I don't know why. I used to listen to Rue uh, Dobbs. Dobbs always cr- uh, criticizes the Republicans. What
1: happened? Well, let me tell you something, Tony, and thank you for the call, my friend. So appreciate it. want to hear from you again. Uh, Tony, let me tell you this about the Republican Party. We, we those of us that are conservatives, very often criticize the Republican Party. And for good reason. The Republican Party, these guys usually all run out in the primaries as conservatives, and then when they get elected, they govern as moderates or liberals. But we conservatives have to realize something. If you look at the Freedom Caucus in the House, how many members does it have? Maybe 40? The overwhelming majority... Of Republicans in Congress are not conservatives so conservatives are fighting a two-front battle one is on these insane proposals that come from liberals and progressives and the other are the Trump hating rhino policies that come from moderate Republicans and so yes we are very often unhappy but that said I want to take you back to something Princess Di says. And it left a profound impact on me when I heard her say it. The truth is on our side, and that is powerful. We got to go. Second hour, done. Coming back. Princess Di, coming back next hour, Omar Hakim. And your calls on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, don't. Go away.
0: It's James Golden, aka Post Nerdly on seventy-seven WABC, the crown jewel of American radio.
1: You are at Hour Number Three on our three hour Saturday morning radio. Extravaganza. James Goldenboatsnerly with you here. This hour, we're going to hear from Princess Die. Can't wait. We're also going to hear from one of the most extraordinary musicians in the world, Omar Hakim. He is a musician, a composer, producer, multi-talented. He's vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, and he'll be with us. He's going to talk about, one of the things we're going to talk about is an upcoming Foo Fighters a concert put on by the Foo Fighters and the family of um, of of Tyler Hawkins. It's a memorial concert, and there will be at least three performances, so we'll talk about that and whatever else you want to talk about on the telephones. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to get to, well, there are a few things. Did you know, by the way, in California they were trying to get an $18-an-hour minimum wage law onto the ballot, this is through the referendum process out there. The national, the national, the national minimum wage is $7.25. Now, of course, in many liberal states across the nation, it's $15 and up. But this time in California, trying to get it up to 18 bucks, uh uh-uh. Didn't make it. There is also, and I'm looking for another story, there was also a story that I wanted to touch on about Ron DeSantis and what he's doing with the schools. And it is pretty amazing. But you heard at the top of the hour news, you heard Jacqueline Carl going over some of the Supreme Court decisions in New York, and by the way, Your New York legislature has come through now with a way that they hope will circumvent the Supreme Court. They signed a new, the unelected Governor Hochul signed a new gun control bill yesterday. This new bill stipulates every three years, if you get a concealed weapon, you have to renew it. And get this, if you're trying to purchase a handgun, you have to hand over, you have to give the government, give the government of New York a list of your social media accounts for the last three years. You have to go back, and you have to go back through all your social media stuff and you have to turn it over to the government, so it's not that the governments are going to do background checks on you. you're going to be first to do, forced to do a background check on you and then give the information to the government. I don't see personally how this is going to survive if if people are serious about not being able to not ha- having a law against self incrimination if you wanted to. I mean, you have to give them the evidence that they would use against you, really? And they, if they like your social media account, I guess you might get a weapon. They're doing the same thing that they did before. They're making it difficult for people to purchase a firearm. They're saying if we, if you don't meet our special requirements, you can't have a firearm. According to the measure... You have to prove to the government that you have the essential character, temperament, and judgment necessary to be entrusted with a weapon and to use it only in a manner that does not endanger oneself and others. Really? Now, I don't know whether this is going to – now, I imagine that a lot of people here are going to say, yeah, that sounds logical. What's wrong with that? Okay. Do you think that this comports with the spirit? Of the Supreme Court decision, setting up new criteria. That means you have to now go in, go through all your social media and go to the go to the government, like there's some kind of Politburo. Oh, here's my social media account. Do you approve of everything I said? What about your privacy? You have to give them your screen names. You have to give up all your information. i tell you, these people are excessive in their demands. They really are. And I hope that this ends right back up in court again. Los Angeles County DA, George Gassone, he's one of these Soros DAs. He's begging supporters to send them money. You know, there's a recall effort for him. He's another one of these that lets the criminals back on the streets to murder rape, and pillage the citizens, all in the name of equity and racial something or another that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The recall George Gasson campaign in mid-June was very close to collecting the 567,857 signatures it needs to put recall on the ballot. So, hopefully, that won't be deterred. He's he's out fundraising, Gasson is. He says, the Republican-led recall effort in L.A. is on the cusp of qualifying for the battle this November. If they're successful, they'll reverse all our progress. All our progress in what? What progress has Gasson made? L.A. is a hellhole when it comes to crime. Just like New York City is under Mayor Adams and de Blasio, just like NOLA is, there's a story today that New Orleans, under their Democrat Party, Blue Mayor, might be the murder capital of the world. There's so many murders being committed there. Everywhere, every one of these major cities, with these liberals in charge, crime is out of control. And by the way, with these open borders, there has been more fentanyl pouring in this country. There was another huge bust of fentanyl the other day. That followed one last week where these guys had millions of dollars worth of fentanyl. They got busted. I think this was on the West Coast. I'm not 100% sure about that, though. They got busted, and within a day, they were out of jail. And the fentanyl deaths in America are out of control. And yet these liberal prosecutors, these liberal Democrats who run these states are not taking it seriously. They're more concerned about what's going on with critical race theory and things like this. Oh, we have a sound bite. I want to play this before we run out of time today because I just saw a headline. This is another one of the headlines trying to trash Florida. This was in the Washington Post, the Amazon Prime, Washington Post. Florida law limiting LGBTQ discussions takes effect and rocks schools. And they're all talking about all of this, what they call, of course, the don't say gay bill. That's in the first sentence. It's not that. The White House calls it part of a disturbing and dangerous nationwide trend of targeting the LGBTQ community. I want you to listen to a professional democrat talk about how four-year-olds you have it ready diego how f- four-year-olds should be exploring their own body four-year-olds listen to this
10: thanks for trusting me with this so i am dr lex i teach him free sex ed and I'm raising sex positive kids and i'm trying to help you do so too when we're talking about Four year olds exploring their bodies. I'm glad you're able to notice. I'm glad you're able to say, like, this is what's going on. And you're doing a great job as a parent. You're figuring out what's safest for your four year old. So let's talk about the function of the orifices that they're exploring, right? If it's the anus, we have to be super careful with that. Most adults don't know how to safely explore an anus. So a four year old definitely doesn't because the butt tends to act like a vacuum. And with the butt acting like a vacuum, that's gonna be an awkward ER pediatrician visit. So nothing goes in the butt. It is for exits only at this time. If it's a vagina or a vaginal canal, we need to talk about, we only safely explore that with clean hands, cut fingernails, because that is what's safest. Something else can hurt us, puncture us, et cetera, et cetera. So go over the safety and the function.
1: Four-year-olds. This is a sex ed teacher for four-year-olds. Diego, let's play it one more time, please. Go ahead.
10: Thanks for trusting me with this. So I am Dr. Lex. I teach am 3 ed. And raising sex positive kids, and I'm trying to help you do so too. Raising sex positive kids. When we're talking about four-year-olds exploring their bodies, I'm glad you're able to notice. I'm glad you're able to say, like, this is what's going on. And you're doing a great job as a parent. You're figuring out what's safest for your four-year-old. So let's talk about the function of the orifices that they're exploring, right? If it's the anus, we have to be super careful with that. Most adults don't know how to safely explore an anus. So a four-year-old definitely doesn't because the butt tends to act like a vacuum. And with the butt Acting like a vacuum, that's going to be an awkward ER pediatrician visit. So nothing goes in the butt. It is for exits only at this time. If it's a vagina or vaginal canal, we need to talk about, we only safely explore that with clean hands, cut fingernails, because that is what's safest. Something else can hurt us, puncture us, et cetera, et cetera. So go over the safety and the function.
1: Go over the safety with your four-year-old. Okay. (sighs) Let's take a break. When we get back, our very own Princess Di will join us cannot wait It's,
11: on radio 77, W-A-B-C.
0: it's time for a radio royalty with James Golden and America's princess of policy Princess Die
1: That majestic music can only mean one thing. <laughs> Her Majesty is in the house our very own. Our very own Princess of Policy. The beautiful, the wise one, the shining intellect of Princess Diana. Welcome, Your Majesty, to our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you?
11: I am very happy to hear your voice, Sir James. A great show as always.
1: Well, thank you. So, Diana, we said today we're going to talk about July 4th. Okay. I want to talk about July 4th because, you know, I don't celebrate July 4th. I have a guy on the line, Leonardo. I'm sorry. He wants to wish me a happy 4th of July. I see your call, Leonardo. I'm not trying to diss you. But Diana and I had planned to talk about this earlier, Princess Diana. Yeah, I don't celebrate July 4th. And a lot of people go knee-jerk on me, "How can you do? You're a conservative, Why can't you go
10: well,
1: because it's white folks Independence State on have nothing to do with no black people in America, okay? Period. And I saw Diana um, uh-huh. a documentary a series actually, I've been watching them. I, I love documentaries, historical documentaries. I saw one last night that made me cry so hard um, on Uh-oh. the life of Marion Anderson. And it made me cry for a lot of reasons. Number one, her triumphs, and she was just so amazing. And then also what she had to go through in this country, her country, while she goes over to Europe and she's treated like royalty, she's treated so beautiful because she's so talented, except, of course, in Nazi Germany and places like that. But all the rest of her world, she's treated like she should be, like this amazing talent. And then when she comes back to America, she's treated like SHI, you know what. Um, but still, she perseveres anyway. She achieves anyway, which is what I love. Um, and But then I saw a documentary on, of all places I know, PBS, I know, I know, PBS, about Benjamin Franklin. It's the Ken Burns documentary. And I was in between fascinated and feeling proud and then at some point just being very angry. <coughs> Benjamin Franklin... Unapolog- unapologetic slave owner, hated black people until the very end of his life when all of a sudden he turns into an abolitionist. Um, and all of these things have just been, you know, I've been bubbling up with this stuff. For I've never celebrated July 4th because when I started as a kid, I started reading history, and I always felt left out. It's like, no, 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 this part of history is not for me. This is not about me. This is not about my family. This isn't about the people that I know. This is about the... And by the way, I love that other people celebrate July 4th. I am grateful for America. I think America is the best nation on the planet. But I also think we have to be honest about our history. Okay, I'm through. What do you think? Diana? Did we lose Princess Di? I may have scared her off. I'm so sorry if I scared her off. But anyway, that's what I think about July 4th, folks. And I can't wait to hear what Princess Di's response is to all of this. So we're trying to get her back on the line right now. And I will assume that we'll know in a moment or two if indeed we have her. I do recommend that Ben Franklin... A documentary. It is fascinating. Parts of it are fascinating. This is a man who, again, like Thomas Jefferson, complex individuals, but came from nothing and worked his way into being, at the time, the most internationally renowned American of that time period. And without him, we would not have the America that we do. Princess Di, we lost you. You're back.
11: Yes, I am. And I was saying, you couldn't hear me, that I don't disagree with a word you've said. I have a little bit of a different perspective that I respectfully offer to you on this this weekend. And one of the things I want to do is first read the sentence that was not true for anybody when it was written, which is, we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This was a revolutionary sentence in the history of mankind. And it wasn't true for the people who signed the de- Declaration on July 4th, 1776. They were not at liberty. They could not pursue happiness. It wasn't true for any category of human being, and especially not true for the slaves, that the people who were enslaved by the very people who wrote this sentence. And one of the reasons I continue to celebrate, the more I know about America, its flaws and its, its strengths, is because of that sentence, and I believe it was divinely inspired And as Martin Luther King called it, it was a promissory note. It was a check that 100-plus years later, Martin Luther King came and marched to cash that check. The Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1863. He came to Washington for his uh, deliver his I Have a Dream speech 100 years later. And he he acknowledged that sentence, in fact, that this was a promise that every American was to fall heir to. It was a promise that all men, black men as well as white men – notice he doesn't say women – would mm-hmm. be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Martin Luther King was correct, and you are correct. This promise was given – to all of us in the beginning and it was not applicable to anybody. There was so much suffering and bloodshed and treasure shed to make this now in America and in fact more recently in the last couple of weeks where babies in the womb were also given this possibility of life, the right to life. So in my view, this sentence is worth celebrating. It's the birth of our nation officially. But this particular sentence, which has called our people to the greatest ideas in human history to claim it as our own, that we have this God-given right, and it, the word that is most important in this divine sentence is our creator, creator. And because we credited as a nation, that force, the force of good, this unique evil of slavery was eventually extinguished. But as I said, much suffering, much blood spilled, and much treasure spent. So my suggestion is to perhaps look at this day as the birth of this particular promissory note that was then later claimed. And if that sentence had not been written, the outcome would have been completely different. And if you would allow me, I wanna read a sentence that was delivered on the 83rd anniversary of the the Declaration of Independence by an African-American of the Banneker Institute of Philadelphia, which was an African-American literary group. It was a speech by Mr. Jacob White, He said, we have learned by experience and by the comparison of ourselves with people similarly situated to hope that at some day, not very far in the future, our grievances will be redressed, our long lost rights will be restored to us, and that in the full stature of men, we will stand up and with our once cruel opponents and oppressors rejoice in the declaration of our common country and hail with them the approach of the glorious birthday of our great republic i think that has to be claimed i think that 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 sacrifice and that wish and that hope of that man giving that speech on that day needs to be honored and so that is why today and this weekend i celebrate the fourth of july weekend because of that one divinely inspired sentence
1: this is one of the reasons i love you so much because you bring to <clears throat> To mind and to and and to the mind of us a clarity that i don 't think it, it, you, i don 't hear this anywhere else the clarity that you bring on this now, I will say that all said um, one of the things that I do and, and the reason i I think the way I think and i and I talk about it is to honor the people in my family to honor the people like my dad and his generation and my grandfathers and my and my grandmothers. And all of these people who suffered, my great-grandmother, who was married to an an ex-slave, because my dad and those generations, my dad went to World War II, he went to the Korean War, he loved America, as did my family. That Also, I had other family members that served in these wars, and they came home, they were treated horribly by this country that they loved so much, but they never stopped loving it and neither have I. I grew up loving this country. I was angry when I came to understand the treatment that some American citizens had to endure, including the women in this country who were left out. Who, who But at the same time, I've always revered the fact that the founders of this country, despite their own personal flaws, and by the way, that unalienable rights, that was Benjamin Franklin's edit to this, doc, to this document. Um, but, what America did that no other nation did was turn the tide from monarchy and feudalism to one where a republic was enacted that could actually help overcome the flaws of man. It was politically impossible at the time of our finding uh, of our founding to address the issue of slavery it wasn't going to happen if if that had been pressed to the we would have lost all of the southern states period there would be no constitution there would be no america there would be there would not be a nation that could eventually turn the tide of humanity toward what is right and so sometimes we have to take a longer view of history And I do. One of the reasons I love this country is that this country is so unique, that America has given so much to the world, has given more freedom to more people than any other nation in the history of mankind. And that's something that we should honor and treasure. But I also just think that, for me, I need to honor and treasure my bloodline and and so that the kids that come after me can understand what my father and his generation sacrificed to this country that they love so much too. And I join
11: you in that honoring. I just want to say that this long struggle is one of the reasons that I am so optimistic because I don't have any use for the people who say, what's the use? All of the people who nowadays have Political analysis said, "Oh, we're losing this, and we're losing the culture." You look back at how long that that battle was fought—thousands of years—and then in this own, in this country, on over hundred years—that that there is no reason for us ever to give up the fight for freedom, for liberty, for all man, including all women, all in the womb, all in in created by the Creator. And so I join you in that honoring.
1: And let me just say this. We owe so much to Rush. Yes. I'm sorry. You know, for for all these years, you talk about so many who just was steadfast in optimism for where this country was and for protecting and all for protecting innocent life, as you said. And so, I mean, this has been a week. Of of all the weeks to Miss Rush, this has been a week where I just find myself every day wishing that he could be with us to talk about these miraculous changes that have happened from the courts that we once thought were solely in the hands of liberals in this country that hopefully will allow more life to flourish in these United States and for many more of us to enjoy the, the, the freedoms and the liberties that are our birthright. As Americans, yes,
11: exactly right. And he is still with us. And your voice, especially, and a little bit mine, because you know he basically instilled for thirty years in us his wonderful optimism and his wonderful ability to just express the truth.
1: Diana, me, princess, I thank you, and thank you so much. This has been. <sighs> One of your best <laughs> ever, Diana. Thank you.
11: Thank you, Sir James.
1: WABC Talk Radio 77. That is our Princess Diana. And we'll be back. We're going to be joined by Omaha Keem after this. Don't go away. And your call is coming up, too. Don't go away.
0: Talk Radio 77, WABC. Oh, no, politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC.
1: Welcome back. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. James Golden, a.k.a. 30 here with you. It is my distinct pleasure. To introduce many of you to a man that you have heard for decades, but maybe not known. Omar Hakim is here. If you listen to that drum track on David Bowie's Let's Dance, it is iconic. On so many hits, so many artists, this guy is that sound. Omar, how are you this morning, bro? I am great. Good morning. (laughs) Yeah, man. It's so good to finally have you on, man. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to this. Now, Omar, you started playing professionally at 12 years old. You're 12 years old.
3: How about 10 years old?
1: Whoa. That's right. Because when I first became aware of you, it was Omar Hakeem, the 12-year-old sensation. (laughs) <laughs> but you so your first professional gig was at ten years old?
3: With with my dad.
1: Hassan Hakeem. That's right. And then you your career has been one of just sheer brilliance. Whether it's mm-hmm. on the jazz side with Weather Report, uh the Sting years that you did, you played with the list goes on and on. Madonna, Stevie Wonder. Everybody, Anita, Lionel, if you go today, Josh Stone, if you go, it's how did you manage to cover all of those genres of music and become successful at every one of them?
3: Wow. Well, what happened when I was young, I realized that I didn't want to be typecast stylistically as a musician as a drummer. I didn't want people to think of me as just a rock drummer or just a jazz drummer or just a R&B drummer. You know, in New York City, when you're trying to uh, make it as a musician, uh, particularly if you're interested in um, working in recording studios, um, one of the things that I learned to do early on is not say no to a gig. (laughs) When, (laughs) When they call the answer is always yes. Once once I got a call from some guys in Brooklyn, some uh, J- Jamaican guys that had a reggae band. Now, I wasn't, I loved reggae music, but I didn't really have experience playing reggae music around 15 to 16 years old. But when they called, the guy says, hey, man, can you play reggae? I said, yes.
8: <laughs> I,
3: I can play reggae. I hung up that phone and went right to the record shop and got and bought every reggae record I could get my hands on and studied that whole week because that is survival in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is how I sort of immersed myself in a lot of different styles of music. And it's really because I just loved music so much, I was obsessed as a kid with music, with listening to records. So for me, you know, playing jazz with my dad. That was sort of like the first musical language I learned. But with my friends, we're playing the R&B and funk and rock hits of the day. So I was getting this steady diet of all of these styles. And and, and as a kid, I was a sponge. And I think that as I matured on the instrument, all of these um, language cues became part of my style.
1: Right. And so what was your big break?
2: Mm.
3: My big break was uh, at 16 years old. Uh, I stumbled into an audition for Patti LaBelle and her group, LaBelle. And she hired me on the spot at the audition, audition at 16 years old. Blew my mind.
1: Wow. Uh,
3: and um, And then I also, though, before that, Uh, At 15 years old, I did my first tour in an opening band. Uh, The artist's name was Jay Mason. Jay
1: Mason, yeah.
3: The music director was a brilliant musician from Jamaica, Queens, New York, named Denzel Miller, uh, who took me under his wing and took me on my first tour of America. And that tour in 1974, we were opening for... A brand new band that just got signed to RCA Records called Hall and Oats. Whoa. <laughs> and it was amazing to watch those guys every night. A part of that tour was also a really fun 50s band called Shanana. Everybody remember Shanana? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they were hysterical. But also, uh, we played, we opened for, um, I think we did gigs at Sly. I remember doing opening a couple of gigs at Sly. Uh, we did gigs with the West Coast Band called Cold Blood. Oh, they were incredible. An incredible band that uh, a lot of the members of that band eventually ended up in Tower of Power. So I was getting a really, at, at 15 years old, I was exposed uh, to the professional on the road life. And, uh, of course, playing every night in that context makes you very strong because, you know, these these rock and roll shows, you know, they go on, man, for hours. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, you, you get it together real fast.
1: I want to talk to you about, the, with the limited time we have, about Sting and about Weather Report and all that, but sure. the purpose of the call was mm. to talk about this upcoming gig that you are going to be part of, and that mm-hmm. is for one of your friends, uh, Taylor Hawkins. Can you tell That's us right. what's going on with that?
3: Yeah. Um, my dear friend Taylor Hawkins, who's a drummer for the band, the Foo Fighters, passed away a couple of months, as most people know, because it was in the news, it was everywhere, and it just really crushed us, man. Um, I got a call from Dave Grohl um, soon after that. In fact, like, he and I are pretty much in touch all the time anyway as friends. Um, and I played on their last record, Medicine at Midnight. Uh, we had a lot of fun together in the studio. I had a lot of fun hanging with Taylor. I mean, I, I met those guys back in 2011 when they released the uh, Wasting Light album. Um, and we've been friends ever since. Um, so this is just a crushing blow uh, to the band, to, to the families, to myself, Um and when Dave called me and said, dude, can you participate in this this memorial concert that we're going to do for Taylor? It's, it's like, you know, of course, of course, I'm there, whatever you need, just say the word.
1: And so when is that, when are those concert dates happening and where?
3: Okay, so the first show is going to be in London at Wembley Stadium on September 3rd. And there's a bunch of guests that are going to show up. All, the, all of the people that Taylor admired and, and grew up listening to, like Queen, um, Alanis Morissette, who was uh, one of his first professional gigs. Um, I, I heard that um, the guys from Led Zeppelin are going to even show up. Uh, wow. Alex, oh man, that's, that's, that blew my mind. Um, now Rogers is going to show up. Uh, Chrissy Hind will be there. Uh, Dave told me um, Paul McCartney might even come to the London gig. Um, it's just, it's like a star-studded uh, cast and, and crew of people who love Taylor and who Taylor loved. Uh, and then the next show is a show on this side of the pond in Los Angeles at the Kia Center, I believe is the name of the venue, in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be the 26th and 27th. They just added a second show to that because the first one sold out so quickly. Um, so we've got two shows in L.A., September 26th and 27th.
1: Wonderful. <clears throat> so here's what we're going to do, Omar. We're going to stay in touch with you during those shows okay. and, and, get, and get your take as it goes on. Time's running okay. short today. And then I want to invite you back. Let's do a podcast or something so we can talk about this amazing career that you have. Because your career, oh, I mean, you wrote uh, one of my favorites of yours. And I have so many, Omar, really. One of my favorites of your compositions won a Grammy for George Benson. That's called oh, Being right. With You. You have right. played with Stevie, and your Stevie Wonder stories are hilarious. I think we have two minutes. Try to, When you first met Stevie, at least in the studio, tell us about that a little bit.
3: Okay, so there, there was a recording studio in, in New York City, very famous, called The Hit Factory. Uh, and I was in a little one-hit wonder band in the 70s called Harlem River Drive. We did one hit single for Arista Records. that second one eluded us, but... In the process of that, I got to work at the Hit Factory all the time with the chief engineer, a guy named Ed Sprig, and I fell in love with the studio, the process, and uh, and I would go and hang out with Ed. So one day I called after school, and Ed said, "You need to get down here right now because Stevie wanted to see you." And he's playing drums, and I was like, "Whoa!" Let me. So I got on the train, went flying down to the Hit Factory. He introduces me to Stevie, and. Um, slaps some headphones on my head and puts me right in the room with Stevie. It like, you know, three feet sitting next to him at the drum set. And that was amazing. Fast forward a few years, Stevie hired me for a recording session. And he called at like two in the morning because he doesn't have a light cue. So he's the, your, your phone is going to ring from him at any time of day or night. And I said, uh, he said, can you come to the studio now? And I said, it's two o'clock. He said, good. See you in an hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so i get i get to the studio bleary eyed and we do a great session in fact the song was uh, all i do is think about you remember that james yes of it, course it, it, it was, yeah it was a demo it was a demo for that song so we get done at about seven in the morning and so stevie says to me omar uh how are you going to get home because i'm I, i'm like 19 i didn't have a car at the time And I said, well, I guess I'll just take the the bus and the train like I did to come. He goes, yeah, you know, I would drive you home, man. But the last time I tried to do that, I almost got us all killed. (laughs) 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 And that was Stevie, always cracking jokes, just a hilarious character, and of course, a mad genius of music.
1: Wow, Omar Hakim, thank you again. We look forward to those people that want to hang out at the uh, Foo Fighters, and this is with Foo Fighters and, 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 and the Hawkins family are presenting these concerts. Yes.
3: I and love so, that band, man. That is like one of my all-time favorite bands. So to get invited to hang with them and to, to honor my friend Taylor, you know I told him, I'm there in a heartbeat.
1: Wonderful. And we will be doing more, folks. You've just heard the beginning. This man has an amazing history. Omar Hakim, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York, James Golden. This is another one of Omar's sessions. You might recognize it. Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, takes us into the break. Coming out of the break, your calls will take us home. If you're on hold, stay on hold. We're going to get to as many of you as possible on this, our Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza, coming right back.
0: Oh knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC.
1: On this, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Leonardo, thank you for waiting and thank you for holding. How are you this morning?
7: I'm doing well, King Bo. This show is just rocking. Unbelievable. You got Mark Levin, Omar Hakim, and Princess Di. Talk about diversity. It's like unbelievable. Uh, I just wanted to say my dad was a certified public accountant, a CPA, but as far as I'm concerned, you are King Bo. You have a doctorate in cultural, patriotic Americanism. Uh, there's wow. music, there's comedy, there's music, there's comedy, there's excellent uh, conservative political, p- political talk. Uh, I think I'm going to have to talk to Mr. John Casamacides to get you more hours and a promotion, more money.
1: <laughs> thank you leonardo what a lovely thing to say i appreciate that man i'm glad you dig what we're doing here thank you so yeah. so very much look we got grab it. you if you have a point you got to make it quick because i got to get on some other calls time is fleeing okay we're gonna go next where guys pick one and let's see where you go i'll follow you where do we go next let's go to ken long island Ken Long Island, welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you, Ken?
7: Good, um, and right back at you. I had a question about, um, in Colorado, the recent primary with Tina Peters. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but she was a clerk and recorder, and she had made some backup uh, file on a hard drive. Um, And there's a federal law that says the 2020 election, they have to keep the records for 22 months. But um, Janet Griswold had deleted the files. Then they uh, put phony charges uh, against Tina, and she had a $500,000 bail. She was a Gold Star mother, and uh, they don't want her to be in the primaries. I mean, in the election in November. Your take?
1: analogy. And we are just only seeing the beginning of the trichinology that is going to be in the 2022 elections and the 2024 elections. Steve in Jersey City, New Jersey. Hi. Welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77.
6: Uh, Hi, Mr. Goldman. I loved your interview with Omar. I'm a bassist. I'm 58. Uh, I worked with Shirley Austin Reeves, Laura Branigan, Debbie Gibson, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I never
1: met Omar, but I've worked with his wife, Rachel Z. Oh. You want to you hear talent. Mm-hmm. Rachel oh, Z my. is one of the most amazing keyboard pianists on God's earth. She is mind-blowing.
6: I played with her on an album about 25 years ago, and it was a Christmas album for a bunch of bands in Jersey. It was like a charity thing. And the um, engineer, Dave, he said to Rachel, uh, he said, what Christmas song would you like to do? She says, uh, Silent Night. And he goes, okay, do it. And she did a jazz diversion that would, would just blow your mind. I mean, I, and she just did it on the spot. She's amazing. Like, I, I, my jaw dropped. My jaw dropped. You know? So you got some serious talent there. Omar and Rachel, they, have they done an album together
1: yet? Yes, they have. And they had, in fact, they have a jazz trio called the Trio of Oz. And you can find okay. several recordings with with them. And um, you know they do amazing work together. They're just outstanding musicians. They're both of them are incredible. Steve, thank you so much for the call. Let us go to Morris County, New Jersey, and Ann. Ann. welcome. WABC. We're on with James Golden. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza.
2: Oh, hi, hi. How you doing, James? Um, just a quick thing I wanted to mention. Um, slavery is not necessarily a quote black thing. It existed in almost all countries. Um, biblically, it is noted uh, that the Jews were slaves for hundreds of years under those pharaohs. Um, it's noted in the New Testament and the Roman Empire. Um, I recently read a biography on St. Patrick, and he was brought to Ireland as a slave, so it existed in Europe. Um It currently exists in many Middle Eastern uh, Muslim countries and also in human trafficking all over the world. So, you know, just a note that it's not necessarily a black thing.
1: Absolutely. And you are so right. But I want to add one thing to that. And this is the horror of the transatlantic slave trade. When you mention slavery as being existent in, let's say, in Israel with the Israel, we know Yes, and believe me, that's what Passover, that's what Moses, all of that is all about, the freeing of the slaves. Here's what was different about the slave trade to America and in the West Indies. Chattel slavery. Families were, uh, in, in the other slaveries that you're talking about, families were allowed to stay together. Were, people were allowed to maintain their own religious beliefs and their own family structures. That did not happen. And that's what made this transatlantic slave read that America suffered for so devastating to the point that the residual impact on culture is still being felt. But you are absolutely right. And I will say one more thing. If you look at every nation on the face of the earth, every single nation has their own horror stories because horror is something that humans do to each other. America, our left keeps going on and on about the horrors that happened here in America. You don't see that in China. You don't see that in Japan. You don't see that in Russia. You don't see that in Europe. You don't see that in Germany, even though you could. We have to stop blaming everything for today on what happened yesterday. I'm not saying get rid of your history. As I noted earlier, it is important to keep your history, but it's also important to live in the day Carpe diem. Let's go to Ernest in Rockland County. How are you Ernest Rockland county going once going twice you You
4: are a treasure, and I appreciate your time. That lady's absolutely right i I met Mark Levin. I shook his hand and I gave him a bottle of apple cider vinegar. And he's a great man. Mr. Golden, I mentioned last time that we spoke that there was the U.S. Marshall Service must arrest Chuck Schumer
1: under. <laughs> I remember.
4: Yes, sir. Under New York law. Okay, Lawyers, don't
1: it. just give me an update if you can because I got to get one more call in here. No, I'll tell you what, Ernest, I want you to hold on because I want you to have time to explain this to people. So you give us a call back next week. We'll get you when we have a little bit more time. This is important. I
7: will, sir. God bless you and thank you.
1: All right, Peter, you get the last word from the Bronx.
7: Hi, Bo. It's important to remember history, to learn from it, and not to ruminate on it. Um, I also emailed you about a book that I wrote, and I was a guest on Frank's show about it, but that's another topic altogether. But great having Omar Hakim on. There's another drummer from the 80s like him named Tony Thompson. I don't know if you're aware of oh, him. Oh, heck
1: yeah, Tony Thompson. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Great drummers. Um,
7: I got to see Omar Hakim with David Bowie in the 80s. Peter Frampton was the guitarist. One of the greatest musical nights I ever had at Giants Stadium back in Love the day. Love it. Thank you, Peter. I emailed you, I emailed you about my book on all the okay. social media, Instagram if you want to check it out. I was on Frank's show
1: on June. 16th. Got it, got it, got it, and we gotta run here. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Another three hours come go very quickly here. Remember, remember. Lawrence Cudlow up next. Cousin Brucey Tonight Music Radio. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. We'll be back Monday. See you then. Bye.